As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. As always, I'm Tim Wyatt, and today we've got for you the second part of John's recent webinar with Premier Unbelievable, tackling ChatGPT, artificial intelligence, and how Christians can live faithfully in our increasingly technologically confusing age. Last week, John chatted with Premier's Justin Briley and Ruth Jackson about how our humanness itself was under question thanks to the rise of potentially conscious machines and software, and in particular, programs like ChatGPT which have been created by hugely complex machine learning processes that even their creators do not fully comprehend. For the second part of the webinar, Justin and Ruth take questions for John from listeners who were following along live with the discussion. We hope you enjoyed this episode and have all had a good Easter. Normal podcast service will resume next week. Shall we go to our first question, Ruth? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to pick this one first just because lots of people have liked it. Um, So this is from Luciana, John, and she says, I have been really worried about the 1984 dystopia when we see a rise of totalitarian regimes. How do you see that from a Christian perspective? What would you say to that, John? Yes, well, I think, to be honest, we have reason to be worried, at least from a human level, because... Um, This is really what's happening in certain countries across the world, particularly China. Um, What is happening is that um, the Communist Party, uh, communism generally, has always been concerned about social control and about um, how to keep a population controlled, how to monitor them and and surveillance. Of course, um, George Orwell wrote 1984 based on his experiences of these very early totalitarian regimes what's happening is that is that communist china is is continuing down exactly the same line only now they're using this incredibly sophisticated technology i've recently read a book uh, which argued that what happened in the pandemic is that it was the ideal opportunity for the chinese government to um monitor their population at a new level uh, using the technology, uh, particularly smartphones, but also cameras everywhere, uh, motion detectors, face recognition, and so on. And so the the level of monitoring has gone up uh, at, at, to a 
to a, a new level and is carrying on post pandemic. Um, so, but the interesting thing is that America has almost as sophisticated monitoring and surveillance technology, but it's using it for commercial uh, purposes. Mm -hmm. So you've got these two major powers, both of them doing incredibly invasive surveillance. You know, our smartphones are just pouring out data constantly, uh, the internet and so on. And I think, I think we do have reason to be really concerned. Um, I, I think, again, the first duty we have is to really inform ourselves um, about this technology, about how it works. It's easy to point the finger at, at uh, China or Russia or other communist states, but I think we too are deeply manipulated uh, by this technology. And particularly, you know, the smartphone, social media, and all that kind of stuff, it's designed to be addictive. It's designed to trap you. And to and there are some of the smartest people on the planet are devoting the whole of their attention as to how can we make it, how can we make it more addictive? How can we persuade you to spend more hours in front of a screen? And I think we need to inform ourselves about this, particularly as Christians, and to find ways to start to push back. And, and th that is beginning to happen, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, a number of people are starting to uh, make suggestions about how we can learn not to allow this addictive, dominating technology to, to damage our own lives and, and learn to push back. You mentioned that there are some people sort of speaking into this area, but how do we as Christians make sure that actually this technology is used for good and, and not for evil? What should we be doing as normal Christians who aren't perhaps AI experts, things like that? We obviously want those people speaking, but what do we do as normal Christians on the ground to try and ensure that this isn't happening? What's the, what's the church's role in all of this, John? Well, I think it's really important, but the truth is we've hardly begun. I said earlier that we're way behind the curve. And I'm afraid that that's the truth. You know, it's almost like people are now giving away free heroin <laughs> to everybody. And we've only just noticed that this might actually not be a, a good idea. And we're starting to see the consequences of people who have just been using heroin, heroin, heroin. And suddenly say, oh, hang on a minute. How are we going to how are we going to respond to that? So I think the truth is that we're a long way behind the curve, but I'm not pessimistic. I do now see um, help going i mean i think we as as uh as just as ordinary members of churches need to go to the church leaders and say look we need help you know can you put us in uh can you direct us towards material could we invite someone to come and give a talk to our children there are mm. some excellent materials around there maybe you know just at the end we could we could make a resource list of some books materials websites which would help yeah, because i think yeah. it's a really important question yeah, Ruth. yeah. I mean, I almost like think of it a bit like it's not a perfect analogy, but, you know, when tobacco, you know, started to get into vogue and, you know, by the 1920s and 30s, 40s, 50s, everyone was was smoking. And then suddenly everyone realised this is really bad for you. You know, there's these health implications to smoking. And what was, you know, everyone and everyone did it then. It took decades, but gradually people began to, to realise and the government started to clamp down and to, you know, make it harder to, to smoke and, and so on. And who knows, maybe we'll see the same thing in the digital sphere that, that as we understand just how this is affecting our minds and, and lives and so on, 
it will just force people to 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 take that seriously and to make the changes necessary uh, even if it may you know feel like it takes a long time just one thing i would want to add and that is that historically down through the centuries of the christian church whenever things seem to be dominating our lives uh, things that were good in themselves but started to become too important christians understood that the concept of fasting of actually choosing to say mm. yes well food is good uh, but, I'm, but I'm going to have a period when I'm going to say, I'm not going to let this become an idol. I'm not going to let it become dominant. I think we're going to have to learn much more about technological fasting. Mm. We're going to, you know, to, to say, I'm going to detox for a period, maybe, you know, Sundays, maybe other ways in which we just say, I don't allow this technology to control my life. I'm going to control it. Mm. Excellent stuff. There are some great books out there as well. Um, here's one. Um, this one from uh, uh, John John Bainbridge um, wants to talk about consciousness um, and says, could you, for instance, grant that human consciousness is on a wider continuum of life form awareness? So I assume John's thinking, you know, that other animals have some form of consciousness alongside us. Uh, could robots be said to therefore be advancing at all along such a continuum as well? So we, are we sort of maybe they will develop a consciousness akin to lower animals and that sort of thing, John? Well, it's a very big topic and, and a complicated one. Um, there are many different ways in which you can sort of subdivide consciousness. Uh, but a common way is to make a difference between sentience and self-awareness. So there's no doubt that many animals are sentient, that they are, you know, if you do something unpleasant to them and you can see the face screw up or you can see them respond in a way, we assume that what's going on, their, their experience, the experience of, of, say, a dog, a cat, a horse, an elephant, a, a dolphin, is in some way analogous to what we feel like when something happens. And the whole foundation of animal welfare is based on the assumption that animals are sentient. Um, but we are much more than sentient. We are self-reflective. We're able to think about thinking you know we're aware of what is going on in our minds at any one moment we can stand back and we can also read other people's minds i can work out that justin's getting increasingly bored by this conversation just by <laughs> looking at his face so uh, <laughs> but um so human consciousness the only kind of consciousness that we really understand is human and it's a human consciousness which comes out of having a body i mean if you think about it how did our consciousness emerge? Well, it emerged when we were a baby crashing around, mm. you know, sticking our fingers into things and then gradually working out other people, smiling at other people, they smile back at us. In other words, the emergence of consciousness is totally related to having a body and to exploring a physical universe. Now, how could a, a computer that sits with sending electrical currents to itself ever develop that kind of awareness that comes from an embodied mammalian mm. species exploring the world. Um, if there is any kind of consciousness, if it's even possible, if it even makes any kind of philosophical sense, I think what we would have to say is it must be utterly and totally different mm. from anything that we have any kind of concept about. And as I say, and my, my feeling on this to, to answer that question, John, is it would be really difficult to know whether you were dealing with something that was conscious because 
I'm sure we can all be fooled into thinking we're talking to a conscious thing, but if you actually get behind it, it's still ones and zeros and following algorithms and, and things. It, 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 whether it understands it is a completely different question as to whether I, I think it feels, you know, conscious in, in the way it's responding to me. But that, that, that's my, just my perspective. That, that's right. And, and I think the other thing, which is, and this is where the kind of the Christian perspective, because what's so interesting in Christian theology is this idea that the evil one is is a counterfeit the evil one simulates um what is genuine the evil is not genuinely creative not genuinely uh innovative but rather than that it simulates and i think therefore that we have reason to be cautious we have reasons to be on our guard not to be naive that that things that appear to be good, things that appear to be um, in, uh, to have human-like characteristics, we shouldn't be naive. That, that doesn't mean to say, you know, I, I think who knows what God in his purposes for the universe. Maybe there is, you know, God in has, has amazing plans for the future that we really have no awareness of. All we can be faithful to is the light we've been given at the moment. That's really helpful, John. I can certainly confirm that my puppy, for instance, does not have any self-reflection. Um, but <laughs> what you were saying there about, uh, you know, evil, and we've talked quite a lot about kind of the dangers of technology. And I think that that comes really nicely to this question from Eva, who says you've talked about taking the evil possibilities of AI seriously. But what do you think are the main areas where AI could amplify good or even do a better job? I'm thinking of how in popular culture, the Terminator is often used as an example of evil. Evil, but in the sequel, Sarah Connor observes that the now reprogrammed robot is serving as the perfect father for her son, John. She sees that it will never stop and would even die to protect him. Uh, and, and then this is a quote in an in an sorry, this is a quote from the film in an insane world. It was the sanest choice. So, so what do you think are some of the areas where there's good being done? And is it sometimes, you know, that kind of blurry line, I suppose? Yeah, really interesting. I think the most obvious place where good is being done is at a much more boring level. It's things like, you know, uh, keeping the keeping uh, the chains of technology and so on working. So what's called logistics and so on. Uh, al already AI is making a massive difference to the efficiency of many firms, uh, things like uh, electrical grids, like uh, cooling uh, methods, like uh, so many different areas where so AI is working behind the surface and increasingly that's happening in healthcare. It's already happening that the AI is helping hospitals run more efficiently. I mean, you may think that the our current problems we have with the NHS, they're not doing an incredibly good job of it. But um, I, I, I think uh, we will see more and more of this sort of nuts and bolts stuff working behind the scenes. I mean, when it comes to caring, this is quite controversial. So there are some people who are, who are very, very positive about this. They say there just aren't enough people in the world to do mm. all the caring needs. You know, we've got so many older people. We've got so many uh, people with disabilities, problems of some kind. Surely compassionate, caring robots are going to be the way forward. Um, and I... 
I can certainly see how valuable it would be to have something that can make the bed, um, change a baby's nappy safely, uh, do all the unpleasant things, which would allow human beings to do the, the things they were really good at. But once we're talking about a robot who is sort of helping someone who's lonely uh, or who finds it difficult to make human relationships and so on, I start to get really worried about that, you know, because it's again, it's a kind of counterfeit. It's not genuinely this thing that smiles at you and says, oh, I do love you. Oh, I do like caring for you. It doesn't mean it at all. These are just words that have been programmed and do we really want our most vulnerable mm. people, the people in society? I mean, the interesting thing is, why is there a shortage of human carers? Are there not enough human beings on the planet to do the caring? Well, answer there are. The reason is because the terms and conditions, the pay mm. and everything, the status is so low. If we were able to improve the pay and conditions and the status of carers, I think we could find more than enough human carers. We wouldn't need to have machine carers. Yeah, it, it does feel like a sort of sad state of affairs when you've got when you've sort of effectively parceled out all your caring for people to, to to robots. It feels like, well, what's the point of being here in the first place if we're just going to end up just talking to to non humans, you know, for for most of our lives? But um, Trevor does have a comment on the back of Eva's question there. Um, and this is on the sort of the, the plus side of AI and so on. He says, following from Eva's question, if you do look at areas such as energy management, AI is now being used to optimize the settings applied to the heating, ventilating and air conditioning systems in buildings like offices, shopping centers and hotels. And the results seem to suggest that AI solutions do generate better results in terms of reducing energy consumption, improving the internal climate within a building. So there are reasons to be positive in such situations or do we think that's evil as well? Well, from everything you said, it sounds like you're saying, no, of course, there are good practical applications of AI, John. No, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think this technology is a gift which God, you know, has allowed human beings to develop the expertise to, to develop this kind of thing. I like this idea, the idea that technology should be redeemed. You know, the, the, the um, you don't just say, well, it's just great, let's use it. Because of course it's also been, uh, it has this evil possibilities within it. What we've got to learn is how to redeem it, how to take this technology and craft it and change it and redeem it. So it is really being used for God's purposes. But certainly I can see, you know, as I said before, how working on logistics, on efficiency, on improving um, the smooth running of so much of our society, I think AI is just starting and it's going to become more and more effective at that. And I, I, mm. I think it is really going to improve healthcare, including things like diagnosis, um, uh, advising on, on new therapies, uh, monitoring people's condition and so on. There's, there's a lot of potential for good here. of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, 
let's take a question from Paul here, who this is a really interesting kind of theological question. Paul says, if in the future the mind can be uploaded to a computer, what happens to the spirit in inverted commas? So I guess, you know, partly what, what do we mean by spirit? But but what happens in that case, John, do you think? Yeah, well, great question. Uh, so th this, of course, is pure science fiction. This this is a real example. This This is a science fiction idea that's been around for 50 years or more. The idea is we could take out the sort of the thinking bit and put it in a different medium. So, you know, the analogy is, okay, you've got this wonderful pop song. You can have it as a CD-ROM. You can have it as a vinyl disc. You can have it uh, just purely as bits in, uh, in the cloud. It's the same song, but the information is instantiated, as to use a posh word, in different physical forms. And the idea is, well, why should it be true about human consciousness as well? You can have human consciousness in a body, but then we could put it into a robot or we could put it into the cloud. It's the same thing. The problem is it's pure science fiction and there's absolutely no evidence that it's ever going to be possible. And I don't think it's, I, in fact, I don't even think it makes philosophical sense because the own, as I said before, the only kind of consciousness we know is a mammalian consciousness. It's a consciousness which is wired into having a body. So much of what, the way we experience, what we experience going on inside our heads is actually coming from our bodies. It's coming from all over. Uh, we're constantly uh, engaging physically uh, with emotions, with uh, all kinds of other things coming in from our bodies. So it just doesn't seem to make sense to say you could take all that and put it into silicon circuits and it would be the same thing uh, mm. i mean there are some people who are desperately wanting this to happen it's become a kind of new form of eternal life for materialists you know for people who say yeah. there's nothing out there except it, it's physics. become the sort of sci-fi version of heaven we is, can yeah. all live forever you know in a digital nirvana um but for me, the problem with that the whole concept is is it's it's got this huge philosophical question begging about it because it, it's it is just a sci-fi concept that you can take a consciousness and put it in this new medium. When all we all we know so far is that the only way we've been able to produce new consciousnesses is through pregnancy and birth, uh, and that you know, and we do not understand. We don't have the first clue really what consciousness is i mean and there's a sort of naturalistic assumption at the heart of this sci-fi stuff that consciousness must just arise from purely physical arrangements of atoms and if you can just basically get that right in a digital form then you're on the road but we don't know that 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 is a big philosophical assumption they're making isn't it absolutely it is and then if you take the distinctively christian point of view not only are we have a consciousness which is embodied in a mammalian setting but god has chosen to use this consciousness or this mammalian phenomenon as a temple of the holy spirit so in some extraordinary way the holy spirit is capable of um transforming changing uh inspiring us um, so that I would understand it in a kind of holistic sense. It's not that we've got a bit of this, a bit of body, a bit of spirit, a bit of soul, all jangling around together. God treats us as this fully physical, fully psychological, fully relational, fully spiritual being. 
and he engages in his grace and mercy mm. he engages with us he speaks to us he transforms us he lives his life through us and we should celebrate that because that's something that no mechanical it seems to me um no mechanism can ever approach the wonder of what it means to be human we've got a question here from uh marco uh leanne noah and naomi perhaps all four of them watching tonight <laughs> on the live stream um says love the show thank you the rulers and principalities have been mentioned is ai intrusive surveillance the internet of things 5g are they not undeniably tools or weapons of this world that are perhaps building towards something like the mark of the beast, some kind of end times eschatological sort of situation? And uh, they go on to say, I love the cigarette analogy, but isn't the church sleeping at the wheel, you know, debating the micro detail rather than the actual causes and reasons? Well, the genuine reasons for these technologies are maybe being lied about. Again, they say China is an excellent example. Uh what's is there an agenda behind this stuff and and could it be related almost to some of that that stuff in in revelation so what what are your th thoughts on all of that john well big big questions aren't they <laughs> um i do think that we have to be cautious and critical you know jesus said you understand whether you can say it's going to be sunny tomorrow you know or it's going to rain tomorrow but you don't understand the signs of the times so i think we do have to be thoughtful and critical about what's going on and trying to step back and again i i think that often unfortunately many it does seem as though many christians and church leaders are i think mean, sleep at the wheel is a bit is a bit too negative but i think they're not really genuinely aware of the way that technology is accelerating us a most extraordinary pace and really not really thinking about the implications um and who knows what the future holds i mean i think what we do know is that god is ultimately in control that 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 god is not surprised by the development of chat gpt or any of this new technology and that actually in his providential purposes he can use this as part of the um of his plans i mean one of the th fascinating things to speculate about is you know it was often said that the invention of printing played a key role in the reformation and, and allowing um the good news and the gospel to be uh, printed and distributed around the world now is it possible that the development of these internet technologies are allowing new uh, forms mm. of christian witness you know the fact that we're having this webinar with people literally mm. around the world discussing and and sharing and learning from one another that that would have been inconceivable even 20 years ago so i i i don't think we need to be frightened or concerned you know, so often when God appears in a new way in the biblical narrative, the first words he says is, don't be afraid. Um, he is in control. He is the master. But we have got to be thoughtful and wise and be aware that evil can appear in all kinds of strange places. So we, I think we need to pray for discernment. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to support one another 
in trying to understand better what is happening and then how to respond from the perspective of the Christian faith. There's a question here from Carla, which I'm sure echo, you know, is echoed by lots of parents. And, and when we're talking about kind of technology and the ways that we can use it for good, young people are definitely one of the categories that you think of, you know, the Instagram influencers who are reaching lots of young people and, and things like that, sort of going to where young people are. But then I suppose there's the flip side of it. So Carla says, while the church catches up, how do parents have good and effective conversations with their adolescents or children um, to maybe even avoid the eye rolling that tends to occur? when you start to raise these concerns and you know as a youth worker as a mom it's surely telling a young person to kind of switch off their phone not do that is like telling them to lose an arm is it is it not John you're a grandfather you know what what would you say about that well I think it's an amazing challenge isn't it and and as a grandfather I look at these children and I'm thinking what on earth you know world are we bringing them into how are they going to learn to cope with technology um there are some excellent uh, resources out there already. A, a book that comes to my mind is called TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. Mm. And he's got a lot of very practical uh, down-to-earth suggestions and recommendations from his own experience as a, as, a, as a family, as a father. One of the most important things he says is the problem is for children and adolescents is that what's on my smartphone is so utterly fascinating. And, you know, all these amazing cat videos and TikTok and you name it, it's all there. And what mum and dad offer have to offer is frankly boring and staid. And as you say, eye rolling in comparison. And the challenge is what Andy Crouch says is that we've got to, as parents, we've got to be able to make what we have to offer family games, whatever it is, what we've planned for them this evening, even more interesting, even more exciting, even more mm. uh, attractive than whatever's available on the smartphone. So that's our challenge as parents. We've got to compete. We've got to compete for our children's attention and interest, and we've got to generate or between us find ways of having things that are even more interesting, even more fun than TikTok. One of the things I've heard as well, which I think is really helpful, is getting the young people involved themselves. So lots of people have talked about having a kind of family contract around technology, which also means the parents don't do what they're asking the children not to do. But everyone has agreed to it. So it's very much a kind of unity based contract. It's not just parents are saying, don't do this. It's everyone's chipped in with what they think is a good idea, whether that's no phones at the table, all of that. But the children have come up with that as well. And therefore, they're beholden to the advice that they have put on themselves, which I think is quite helpful. I think that's absolutely right. Right. And of course, as we all know, the one thing that adolescents are exquisitely sensitive about is hypocrisy. And so if they sense that, yeah, my mum and dad, they say we shouldn't be doing that. But do you know what they're up to when, the, when we're not watching? So as you say, we have to agree together as families how we're going to support one another and why it's important, why family is so important that we're going to put it in front even of the smartphone. Mm. Luciana has, has a question here. Um, and it's it's again returning to that kind of question of big tech and the way countries might be using this um sounds like luciana has has a personal stake in this is says what to do when your country's government is unconstitutionally silencing and censoring anyone who goes against the government and that of course is happening increasingly through social media and that kind of thing these days and luciana says i'm afraid for my family back in my home country now doesn't tell us where that is but I mean, that this is the dark side of all of this, isn't it? Where the, the, it does feel like the, the, there really is a certain amount of power now that 
large corporations, governments and so on can wield because we're sort of so locked into our iPhones and obviously so much of our media comes through it and we're so influenced by it. Um, and indeed, it can be keeping tabs on us at the same time as well. So what I mean, I, I'm sure you don't have the answer to this job, but what, what, where do you go with this? What, what kind of would you like to see happening in the future to ensure that we don't go down that kind of dystopian kind of road? Yeah, there's there's lots of different sides to this, isn't there? I, I mean, one of the things that occurs to me is that, you know, down for 2000 years, many Christians have have been, quotes persecuted. They've been it's not unusual for Christians to find themselves in a political or social environment which is hostile. And, uh, you know, that has been happening for 2000 years. What's new is the sophistication of the technology which is being used. But I think we've mm. got a lot to learn from Christians out down the centuries who've been persecuted, who've been in hostile uh, settings. And of course, a lot of it is just learning to be smart. Um, and, and sometimes that means that you have to, if you're in a very hostile environment, you have to find ways of protecting yourself or protecting your loved ones. And often that means, you know, using code. I know, Christians in other countries who never use open Christian language and they always mm. refer to code and are using technology like VPNs, virtual private networks, ways of of evading or limiting surveillance. Um, at a public level, I do think we need that Christians need to uh, speak out um for other christians you know when one part of the body mm. suffers uh, the whole body suffers and 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 maybe we in the west have become so uh, complacent about the fact of freedom of speech and and that we we're allowed uh, to do and to say pretty much whatever we like and we need to be prepared to stand up for our brothers and sisters around the mm. world and who knows what what could happen in the future we you know we we shouldn't assume that this free internet um, and this freedom of speech we currently have in the West is going to persist indefinitely. I think it is perfectly possible that mm -hmm. at some time in the future, we are going to have to learn new techniques of how to uh, survive in, in a society, in a political system, which is trying to control and limit our activities. We're very nearly out of time, but this feels like a sort of appropriate last question. It's not really a question so much as a comment, but we'd love to know sort of what you think of this. This is from Russell, who says, we seem to be in a period where people are struggling with a lack of meaning. And I feel like AI might start doing a better job than we can at creative activities that used to make us feel good about ourselves, um, thus worsening the crisis. So I suppose, what are your thoughts about what Russell's saying there about meaning? And I guess I'd love to add, what, like, what's the church's responsibility to sort of speak meaning into those situations? Yeah, I think that's a really uh, shrewd and thoughtful point, really. I think it's absolutely right. We live in a, a culture where many people say, what's the point? You know, I, I've got material goods, I've got technology, but what's the point of living? What's, what's it all about? And the danger is that if we think technology is going to provide meaning and even this really sophisticated AI, I mean, as we've said before, it, it doesn't understand anything. Mm. There's no way that uh, AI or robotics is going to give any fundamental meaning. So where does meaning come from? Well, answer, 
ultimately it comes from God, but it's God revealed in a human being, in Jesus Christ. And so humanity, um, original model, not the new advanced <laughs> technologically um, sophisticated humanity, but original Mark I humanity, as we see in Jesus, is God's plan for us. And that's ultimately where meaning comes. And, you know, I think we there's going to be an aspect to say, if that old-fashioned Mark I humanity was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for us too. We don't need this amazing new technology. And what we need to do is to find ways of being more human, more like Jesus. It's a great place to finish. Thank you very much. And thank you for all the great questions that came in this evening. Um, I, I hope you've enjoyed hearing from John, uh, the answers, and and I hope that whatever your tech life looks like, that you're able to go out and, and live as a Christian a little bit more faithfully in a technologically confusing world. Just just a quick mention to say it is an excellent resource, John's new book. Um, it's not that new, it actually came out a year or two back now, didn't it? But the robot will see you now. Um, and we'll, we'll make sure there is, again, a link to that from the chat. We're going to be following up this webinar with an email so you'll you'll get the links anyway to john's website and such like too uh also just to re reiterate um if you'd like to support the work of premier unbelievable bringing you uh resources like this uh webinars shows podcasts videos courses um we would love you to get involved we're, we're all about helping christians to understand defend and share their faith with confidence and also skeptics to explore the claims of faith as well if you'd like to join us in that mission uh, we would really be encouraged if you're able to to, to send a gift um, and we will uh, likewise uh, send a thank you gift if you're able to do that with the link from today's show uh, you'll get the e-set the ebook uh, robots transhumanism and life beyond earth this is the ebook of john's conversation with lord martin reese on the big conversation last year but there's over 100 pages actually of additional interviews and articles so you can really dig in in a big way to these issues um so if you're able to uh, uh give a gift uh, you will get that ebook uh, as a thank you for that the link as i say is in the chat uh, you'll receive it on email and if you're watching or listening at a later date to this show it's still available with the info with today's show and you'll be able to to get hold of it as well for now john thank you so much for being such an amazing guest and answering all of these questions none of which you'd seen in advance far better than any ai could ever answer them <laughs> well you so. hope <laughs> Absolutely. And there's lots of lovely comments in the chat as well, John, thanking you. And one in particular says that they feel a lot more peace now because of what you said. So that's that's really good, isn't it? Well, God bless you all. It's been it's amazing to be part of this uh, international community. And, and thanks for the privilege to be here. Well, God bless you, John. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming along and spending the evening with us as well. And we hope you can join us again next time on the show. But for now, God bless you. See you around. Unbelievable.